120, Sun 102 FM with Ellen Parsons, and don't answer me well. Just aside from the Blue Jays, we haven't really been paying much attention to the Rough Riders. And after almost as hot as the Jays, a 41-22 victory over BC put them in second spot. Only two points behind the Eskimos. They are now 8-8 eight and eight in the season, so... Who knows, maybe a World Series. That's an early air check from Troy Schaub, better known by his on-air handle, Troy Stevens, from his humble broadcast beginnings as an intern at Sun 102 in Estevan, Saskatchewan. Schaub, who went on to co-found LA Radio Group with his wife Sonia, has penned a memoir, reliving his 24 years in radio. In his words, Go With Me On This is simply a story about a Saskatchewan farm kid who took his dreams and ran like hell. We welcome Troy to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to talk about his lifelong love affair with radio and risking it all to follow the dream of station ownership. My name is Troy Schaub. Most know me as Troy Stevens within the broadcasting industry. I am a farm kid from Saskatchewan. That's where I grew up. I grew up uh, south of Unity, Saskatchewan. I'll tell you what, I had just a, a, an enormously wonderful career. I had a great family. I had two big brothers. And, you know, the one thing about growing up in a farm is uh, we never got to go to town very often. We were, we were 20 miles out of uh, the nearest town of Unity. So I didn't get to go to town very often. And uh, when we did, it was usually on a school bus. So... Uh, I grew up with uh, radio basically being my closest friend throughout my childhood, that and my two big brothers. And and uh, that really nurtured, boy, an extreme love for music. I absolutely love music. I love music and I love hockey. But uh, although radio was such an enormous part of my life, I really never even thought about being a radio DJ. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted nothing to do with being a radio DJ. Never, It never occurred to me. But you know, I moved away in grade 11, North Battleford, Saskatchewan, to play hockey and finish up my high school, which uh, which I did in 1991, following a, a radio school open house at Western Academy Broadcasting College in Saskatoon that I attended uh, in 1992. Turned out it was the start of a 24-year broadcasting career and one that I think about daily. It's uh, It's a career that I miss. Uh, it's an industry that I miss. Uh, it, it all started as a as an all-night show in, in Saskatoon at Sun 102 FM. I hosted the, the midnight to six shift uh, to the sounds of easy rock. It was, it was light rock and I loved it. Uh, the music grew on me and I had a real difficult time advancing my career at that point because I really wasn't that great of an announcer. I loved radio. I loved the music. I loved everything about it, but it really took me, boy, close to almost uh, a year before I landed my first job, which was only a, a, a part-time gig, which was in Cold Lake, Alberta. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to host the uh, the weekend shift and in uh, a Monday afternoon shift. And you know, uh, the dedication and the passion that I had for radio, though, uh, it forced me to learn, it forced me to grow, and eventually I, I, I managed to improve a little bit, and that took me to uh, Lloyd Minster, and from there the career kind of took off, and um, really that's, it's, it's kind of a typical broadcasting career. Uh, you know, you start in the small markets, you, uh, you, you maybe grow into a medium market, uh, where my story uh, takes a sharp 
turn uh, was in 2005 when uh, when the word acquisition kind of came into play. And from there, uh, my wife Sonia and I uh, we 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 entered a pretty big roller coaster ride, and uh, the fun ensued from there. I guess maybe we should jump to you suffered a degree of burnout during your second stint at Z99 in Red Deer. Do you want to talk about that and your journey to becoming a station owner? In 2004, uh, I had been doing the morning show at Z99 in Red Deer with my co-host Gloria, who's just the most amazing person in the world. Troy and Gloria show. this witch in here and the on off switch uh-huh. is under the dress and I was, li- I was lifting her dress up and trying to find the on off switch and Cindy walked in and said, oh hey <laughs> oh hey well, I don't know <laughs> I didn't touch her I don't even know her name Troy and Gloria the greatest rock ever Zen. 99 uh, but by 2004 I had really started to burn out I was exhausted and anyone in the radio broadcasting industry who has hosted a morning show uh, will tell you that it's a, it's a tough career. It's a tough career in that, you know, everyone considers you, you know, a morning person, but you're actually not a morning person. You're an all night person because you're up at the, you're up at three thirty, three forty-five in the morning. And uh, by the time your shift is done, maybe it's noon. Maybe you think that you still have a half a day, but I had two kids. I had a, a three-year-old and I had a newborn by the time 2004 rolled around. And I mean, I would get off of work. I would go home. I would try and catch a little afternoon nap with my, with my daughter but they were putting me to bed at eight o'clock at night. And that really didn't do much for the marriage. It, I, I wasn't a good father uh, as that I, well, I, I, I hoped I was a good father, but not as, not as good as I had wanted to be. I wasn't as good a, a husband as I wanted to be. I was burning out and I knew a decision had to be made. I had sent out resume after resume after resume after demo to bigger stations in major markets. And it, it became clear to me after about a billion uh, demos that I just didn't have what it took to become a major market radio announcer. I just didn't have it in me. And so I had a real predicament. I had a real decision to make uh, as I loved the radio industry. I didn't want to leave the industry. But on the other hand, I thought I can't keep doing mornings. I don't want to uh, change that day part in shift to a drive show because I needed the morning show salary. So I was really stuck. And my wife and I went to Calgary one weekend. We wanted to get uh, out, of, out of Red Deer for a weekend. We took the kids to Heritage Park in Calgary. And following that, we went to our relatives. That's where we were staying that night. And I was listening to the radio. I was scanning the dial and merely tuning into Light 96, uh, which was always my favorite station in Calgary. I love the music. And, and all I heard was Phil Collins after Elton John, after Beach Boys. It was such a great mix of music to the point I thought to myself, well, wow, isn't that crazy? No one in central Alberta is playing this massive music. This is going to be one hell of an opportunity for some radio broadcasting company. And that's when, that's when life stopped. From that very second, that's when my life and my wife's life, um, it changed forever. We had decided at that very moment, why can't we own our own radio station? And from that moment on, we decided to jump into 
radio ownership. The problem was, is we knew nothing about it. <laughs> it's not something you're taught at radio school. And so, you know, we, we drove back to Red Deer that next day. We spent the whole time in our, in our vehicle dreaming about how cool it would be to have this radio station. Uh, we knew we couldn't launch our own station in Red Deer. Uh, they had just launched a fourth station. So the CRTC wasn't just going to hand over another license, but we knew that there was a neighboring community of Lacombe, Alberta, which was uh, 20 minutes north of Red Deer, wonderful community, over 10,000 people at the time. And we thought, well, why not there? There's no station there. It's a wonderful community. Why not? The next day, the Monday morning, I called the CRTC 1-800 number. Uh, this is the number that you you call for any issue you would have. It's certainly not the number you call when you want to open up your own radio station, but we did. We called the number. Uh, they gave us some information, and the application process began. And the obstacle was the number one biggest issue I had was we couldn't tell anyone about this. This had to be kept secret. I was working at a competing radio station in that market, and here I was trying to apply for my own station in that same market. Uh, not going to happen in the eyes of the company I was working for. As, as soon as they found out, uh, I would have been toast. So the whole application process was a secret. It was almost like a Shawshank Redemption type of uh, situation, and I couldn't talk to anyone about my plans. I couldn't uh, throw anything off someone's shoulder and, and uh, get some advice. It was simply myself and my wife and, and this CRTC application. And, you know, six months later, we had the application in the mail and uh, off we went waiting for a decision. You actually sold the house that you were building in Red Deer to fund that CRTC application. Yeah. And as much as it was difficult uh, to keep this all a secret, uh, the underlying issue was the fact that we had no money. We were we were living paycheck to paycheck. We had absolutely no business entertaining this crazy idea. Uh, we had nothing. And so when we found out what the cost was in getting a technical brief completed, uh, getting a business plan done, the financial plan done, the supplementary brief completed and into the mailbox, we knew it was thousands of dollars to have this done. And we didn't have even close to that. We didn't have a hundred bucks in our bank account, but we had one crazy idea before we threw in the towel. And that was, well, why don't we sell the house that we haven't moved into yet? My wife and I decided that we were going to put this little down payment on this little two-story and we were going to own our first home. And before we moved in, we had a for sale sign on that property. And <laughs> the company I worked for, Z99, they, they were shocked at the fact that we were selling our home before we were moving in. And they were saying, well, what are you doing? Are you, why? And we merely told them that we found a beautiful home in Lacombe that we wanted to move into. But, you know, at the end of the day, we needed the money from uh, the sale of our house to pay for this technical brief. The technical brief, uh, by the way, was $12,000 to have completed. And so we, we sold our home, we took the proceeds, and we gave it to this 
company to do this technical brief. Uh, we had no idea that the CRTC would even allow our application, but it was a it was a roll of the dice, and I guess sometimes you have to roll the dice to get to to your goal. Turned out we uh, we were successful in uh, in that application, at least being uh, submitted to the CRTC. Right, and you're you're continuing to work for NewCap on the morning show during this time, which. I guess when the application was actually approved resulted in a little bit of acrimony, uh, you know, after the fact. Yeah. Once the application went in the mail that April of 2005, I, of course, was still working for Z99. And it was so difficult to to keep it a secret. I wanted to have closed door meetings with uh, different individuals in Lacombe, but I couldn't. It was a very difficult time. And I still had to keep this secret because I knew as soon as NewCap found out about this application, I was toast. And as luck would have it, we were successful. My wife and I, we were able to keep it secret. I don't know how you keep that secret for so long. But in September, uh, on September 15th of 2005, the CRTC finally announced that LA Radio Group, that's the company we decided to name it, had applied for a radio station in Lacombe. And the morning it came out, I was on the air. My wife had called me to tell me that it was posted on the CRTC website. So following the shift at 10 a.m., I went into my manager's office, uh, broke the news to my manager and my program director that I had applied for a station just down the road. And (laughs) the fun uh, was to come. We ended up uh, we ended up being in a golf tournament the next day. Uh, that I was emceeing. It was a cancer fundraiser and uh, I was let go during that fundraiser and uh, the the newspapers caught wind of it and the TV stations caught wind of it and it became, uh, <laughs> it became, became excuse my language, quite a shit show. It was, um, it was, it was quite an experience and I remember driving home after being terminated from my position 24 hours later uh, it finally happened. Uh, the news broke. This the cat was out of the bag. I had applied for my own radio station, and I was I was terminated. My employment was terminated. And the hard part about everything was the CRTC only announced that we had applied. They didn't have a decision yet, so I still had to wait for a decision. And that wouldn't come for a very long time. <laughs> I don't believe that came until the next year, uh, March of uh, 2006. So. It was a difficult time. Right. It's a really interesting story because you were, you know, portrayed as as the underdog by the media, which was great. But the ensuing radio wars, the story that really stands out for me is when one of your former Zed counterparts pulled into the parking lot of Sunny 94 post-launch in the Zed Cruiser and laid on the horn in the station parking lot. <laughs> Ron Thompson, um, he's a good. He was a good friend. He he passed away in uh, in early uh, 2022. He was the manager at Z99 at the time. He was the uh, the manager when I was terminated, and and he was the manager I had to inform when we uh, found out about when he found out about the application. You know, we could we we laughed about it following our careers. Um, we had lunch together, so I, I, I'm, I'm okay, and I'm confident in saying that he was he was extremely difficult 
as as a as a competitor. Ron was a he was so competitive. Uh, even when we when I worked for him, he he was just relentless. He wanted to win. He was very good at his at his position. And so when he found out that I was applying to be a competitor, he made my life a living hell. He really did. And and you know one of the the stories that we always laugh at, uh, my my staff laugh at, was. Uh, yes, driving into the sunny 94 parking lot. We were we were all busy doing our our jobs and and the CXT. It was a big, big, massive truck. It almost looked like a semi truck. And he he started bolting down up and down our street, honking the horn, and he was blowing it, and he wasn't stopping. And the neighbors, the neighboring businesses were coming out. They were like, what? what's going on here? And it was Ron Thompson in the CXT vehicle and he was not stopping. And, and all he wanted to do was just let me know that he was there and that he was watching and he wasn't going away and he was going to make my life a living hell, which, which he did for a few years, you know, but, but like I said, years after uh, he and I had met for lunch and we, we kind of, we made amends and uh, we laughed at uh, all of our, our childish little issues that we, we had. He was hard on me, but I threw it back in his face. And, uh, you know, I, I missed the guy. He was, a, he was a super individual. And like I said, he was one hell of a competitor for sure. <laughs> Do you want to talk about some of your colleagues not necessarily being happy with your success? Can you talk about weathering that? That must have been exacerbated when you got the second license for craze in Red Deer. You know, that was difficult. That was really difficult for me. And and in their defense, you know, we, we, I, we had a lot of negative feedback on, you know, message boards and, you know, finding out that they're, you know, co-workers that you 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 drank beer with and you you work so closely with for uh, for so many years but you know after the dust has settled and years have gone by you kind of you start to thaw out a little bit and you recognize that you know what maybe you know maybe I I had it coming you know you know I did I kept it under everyone's uh, skin you know I, I and I, I turn the tables and I think to myself well what if one of my close co-workers kept a secret of that magnitude from me for so long and then I found out you know I'd be a little bit hurt as well so I I, I kind of look at it that way but it was a very difficult time I remember the message board lighting up with all of the negative comments and you know, kind of finding out who they were. And it was so close to us launching the radio station. And this was at a time where we weren't sure if uh, our new station, Sunny 94, was going to fly. I mean, no one thought it was going to. My wife and I were kind of on our own in, in, in that uh, regard. So, you know, to... to to not have the support, but to have the opposite of that was very difficult for us. Once Sunny 94 launched and months later, when we knew that we were established and everything was going to be okay, things uh, seemed to, to, to calm down a little bit. And once we applied for our second station two years later, which turned out to be Craze 101.3 in Red Deer, you know, those comments, I think people kind of came to terms with uh, the fact that I was doing what I was doing and I wasn't going away. And, you know, I was able to make amends with you know, with many of them. And I, you know, I don't think I mentioned this in my book, but 
pretty much every single one of the negative comments from our my former <laughs> colleagues ended up applying for uh, for a position with our company. And you know, I think I'm not proud of that. I'm not rubbing in anyone's face by any means. But it just it's a it's just an indication that it was water under the bridge. You know, it was just a it was a moment of competition, and I'm I certainly recognize that for sure. You eventually sold the stations in 2016 and were able to retire at 42. Do you want to talk about life on the other side of radio? Yeah, boy, you know, life on the other side of radio, there, there isn't a day where I don't wake up thinking about radio. I still have those weird and crazy dreams, Connie. Remember being in radio, your microphone doesn't work. You can't find the right button. I still have those dreams all the time. It's like I haven't left radio. Uh, it's constantly on my mind and I, and I, I, I listen to radio uh, often. I critique radio often. Retiring and the acquisition that happened when I was 42 years old, you know, Sonia and I, we didn't mean for it to happen that way. Could have we stayed in radio forever? Absolutely. Um, it was just the writing seemed to be on the wall that it was time to move on. And, you know, we're we're grateful as, as much as I miss the industry. I'm, I'm very grateful that I don't have to be a part of it today for the simple fact that radio has changed so dramatically even in the decade that, that we had the stations. You know, 10 years ago, our competition were the, the other seven radio stations in the market. Now, you know, uh, the stations, they don't seem to even be competing anymore. They're competing against all the other media platforms. They're, comp- they're competing against everything else that's, that's become so technically advanced in this world. There's so many different options for advertisers. And my wife and I look back at this often and we, we say to ourselves, wow, what would have we done? You know, never mind a pandemic in 2020, we wouldn't have known what to do there either. You know, so we're, we're, we're grateful that we're out of the industry. I'm sad that I'm out of the industry because I, I love being on the air and I, and I loved radio. I've loved radio since uh, day one, but and, and now I, you know, we do lots of little things, you know, I, I can't particularly put a finger on what I'm doing for a living now, but we do lots of things. I've managed to um, accomplish more goals in life and, and uh, we're, we're certainly becoming, you know, accustomed to the other side, but um, it, there's not a day that goes by where I don't miss it for sure. You took a lot of risks and in the case of Craze launched in the middle of an economic downturn in Alberta, it, it kind of struck me that there are a lot of radio executives that have come out of rural Saskatchewan. Former Chum executive Duff Roman is one of them that comes to mind. What is it about growing up in the rural prairies that instills that desire, do you think, to pursue something bigger? It's funny. I didn't know that about Duff. And I'll tell you, I think Jim Pattison was born in Looseland, Saskatchewan, which is about 15 minutes from my farm. So I find that 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 is interesting. And, you know, honestly, I love, I love farm kids. I, you know, farm kids, they have hours and hours a day to daydream. You know, you know, growing up, it was, I was a daydreamer, you know, you, you have to find things to keep you busy when you're, you really have hard work instilled in you from your parents. And there's a lot of work to be done on a farm. A farm is a team effort, rural Saskatchewan, uh, rural Manitoba, rural Alberta. It's a, it's a team effort when you're on a farm. 
and you know you you learn teamwork you learn hard work and you daydream i had so many <laughs> two-hour bus rides a day to daydream and to think and to pretend i was a rock star pretend i was you know whatever and i think i think just that all comes into play, you know, or, you know, or maybe it's just a big giant coincidence. <laughs> I don't think it is. I agree. I think there's something about rural kids that uh, they grow up know, knowing the meaning of, uh, of hardware. And that's not to say that city kids don't, but, um, but you sure, uh, there's sure an element of teamwork when you're, when you're on a farm. So I think, I think that has a, 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 a massive degree of, of that for sure. Would you take all of those risks again? And what do you think of the trend towards risk aversion in a lot of aspects of the business? That's an amazing question. And one, I'm not too sure I'm, I, I know how to answer. Um, would I take the risks again? Yeah, I, I would. I have a great deal of anxiety now. I think um, I do suffer a little bit from, from the you know, I, I uh, post-traumatic, you know, it, there, there were a lot of things and a lot of stress, a lot of sleepless nights when we made those, those risks. But at the end of the day, I, I'm, you know, I know, I know, I know times have, have, have changed. I, I know it's not the same as it used to be. What I, I just, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm sorry. I don't know if I would or not. I think with everything that's gone on today and, and in today's world, I'm not too sure. I, I just don't know. <laughs> it's not something I've ever thought about. Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister plays prominently in your book. How did he come to be your personal hero? <laughs> yeah, my, my brother, uh, when I was in grade five, my brother came home from a cross-country running competition and he, and he walked through the door. I'll never forget it. He said, Troy, look at this tape. And I grabbed the cassette and here's this D. Snyder holding this raw animal bone on the cover of this of this album of his, and I said, "What is that?" The guy looked like a superhero, and but immediately I became uh, an absolute fanatic of D. Snyder and Twisted Sister. I wrote him letters. I did I did everything I could for him to at least say hi or, or write back. I wanted to see him in concert so bad. He was just, he was such a massive influence on me. I loved music. I loved 80s hair metal. I was a big fan and, and Dee Snyder was always on top of the list. So yeah, he, it, it, it was always a goal to meet him. It was always a goal of mine to even see him in concert, which I never, ever have, by the way. But uh, yeah, in 2014, they had a documentary made on Twisted Sister. And the producer, the director, the writer of this documentary needed funding. And so they did a crowdfunding initiative. And one of the initiatives on this crowdfunding platform was if you donated, I think it was 5,000 bucks, you could fly to New York and have a one-on-one -on -one dinner with Dee Snyder at the Friars Club. And I remember reading this and, and thinking, this is just way too good to be true. My sales rep at Sunny94 told me I would be an absolute idiot if I didn't take advantage of this. And But for all I knew, it was a joke. For all I knew, it I didn't know if it was going to come to fruition. But I gave this donation, not knowing what was going to happen next. And sure as heck, uh, his personal secretary, Dee Snyder's uh, personal secretary, <laughs> uh, she, she emailed, we booked the time and you know, fast forward two months later, and I'm, I'm sitting in the Friars Club. <laughs> I actually walked into the Friars Club, and 
the the lady at the front told me to go into the left into the lounge and there he was and the he was the most amazing individual that I've I've ever met he's you know you you look at D Snyder with that long hair and the makeup and the screaming and the we're not going to take it videos and and all of that and you you think to yourself you know is this the guy I'm really talking to because he was about the kindest most normal individual I have ever met and he was he was just super we had a great dinner we had a great time uh, walked him to his car and uh, it was just so surreal walking with D Snyder in in downtown New York when it was pitch black and you know it was just such a that was probably one of the best uh, events uh, that's ever happened to me in my in my 49 years you know I've I've I like to say that I've done a lot in my life but uh, that was certainly number one on the list for sure what made you want to write a book Troy you know that's that's funny because when I when I decided to write the book I recognized that you know my my story was a little bit different from the average radio broadcasting career so my goal was to put it on paper in hopes that maybe I could turn it into a book and give my mom and dad a copy at Christmas time and maybe throw another copy into our curio cabinet and home at home in hopes that maybe, you know, in, in generations down the road, my great, great grandkids will maybe want to learn a little bit more about me. And so I decided to write this book and that's all I had really hoped for. And once it was nearly completed, I, I went on Google and I Googled book publishing companies and I came across Friesen Press. Uh, they were super to work with and I told them my my plans and what I wanted and they said well you know that's fine we can we can make a couple copies for you if you want but why don't you at the very least get it evaluated. So I thought okay I'll, I'll get my book evaluated that's where somebody reads the book and gives you a critique they give you feedback so I sent the book in and within four to six weeks they contacted me and the first words they had on this on this review were i love this story and my first thought was well you got to be kidding this is you must have the wrong person because i really thought like really somebody i don't know likes my story i thought that was so cool and so I said, okay, well, what the heck, let's market the book. And we, um, we spent the next year and a half uh, editing the book and making a cover for it. And October of 2022, it was released. And I'm so glad that it happened this way because um, I was able to, you know, market it. I did a soft launch. I just, I marketed it through Facebook and I marketed it through LinkedIn and all the other basic, you know, social media platforms. And I'm so happy that I did because I received uh, so many nice comments from so many past uh, coworkers and, and employees and, and uh, even family and friends uh, who enjoyed the book. And that meant so much to me because, you know, I, <laughs> at the end of the day, like I said, I didn't really mean for it to be in anyone else's hands except for my parents on Christmas morning and in, and in my, my curio cabinet you know so that was really you know the reason for my my writing the book you know I had been uh, out of work since 2016 when I left the industry and so I just thought this was a great opportunity to uh, do what I wanted to do and it, I'm, I'm so fortunate that it worked out the way it did for sure. Is there an anecdote that we haven't touched on Troy that you want to share or a thought you want to close on? I'm so grateful that you had me on here, Connie. This was, this was wonderful. And I guess at the end of the day, you know, my acquisition or my ownership uh, in 2005, owning the stations, you know, it was, um, it was timing, 
you know, we were in the right headspace. We were in the right place. We were at the right time. So many people, so many, I, I can thank everybody. We had so much support once those stations were launched. And uh, I'm so grateful for, for the opportunity to, to even had a, a career in radio as long as I did. Um, I was, like I said, I wasn't a really strong announcer. So uh, the fact that I could, you know, leave the industry after 24 years and, and feel proud and feel like I, I reached all my ultimate goals um, makes me so happy and grateful. We'd probably be remiss not to give a shout out to your wife, Sonia, because she's a broadcaster in her own right and really is the inspiration for the title of your book. Go with me on this. Sonia is um, is an incredible woman. And I guess any husband would say that about their wife. But I'll tell you, she 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 entered the radio broadcasting industry as an owner. And for for her to jump in and create sales packages and and hire for a traffic uh, purchase a traffic system and and everything that she had to learn uh, within those few months and become such a, a monumental part of our career. Uh, she won a Women Women of Excellence Award in in 2011 uh, in Red Deer. She she's an incredible woman and she's. I definitely couldn't have done what I did without her. Uh, we have been a great team from <laughs> from day one, and and uh, I I just couldn't imagine life without her, and and uh, imagine running a company without her. We were uh, we were a great team. Marriage is a is a difficult thing, and you know we managed to get through it as as business owners, as partners, and um, I'm so grateful that I have her in my life and. Yeah, she was she was an incredible person to have in the industry and, and with our company for sure. Where can people pick up the book, Troy? Go with me on this is basically available online. You can get it through Amazon. Uh, you can get it through Google. Um, it's available at some local bo- uh, bookstores in Calgary. And also uh, with Go With Me On This, there is an audio version uh, that I had uh, narrated as well. And that's available through Audible. It's available through iTunes and Amazon as well. And you can you can pick a copy up there as well. And the good thing about the uh, the audio version is you uh, you get a few audio clips of my early radio days, which is fun in itself. So yeah, go with me on this is available basically by hitting Google. It comes up wherever you need it. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Troy. Thank you so much. I, I, I greatly appreciate I've I've been following broadcast dialogue for years and I, I I'm so grateful that you you've had me on. Thank you so much, Connie. For listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. 
Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.